Welcome to 2LO Rebooted, where we tell the stories of design and engineering. I'm Bill Thompson, with the latest of our intermittent podcasts. Coming to you today from Hoxton Square in London, where I've just stepped out of the All Partners meeting with the Partnership on AI to record this bit. In this show, we'll talk to Ahmed Razek about the Blue Room, future technologies and the emerging AI landscape ahead of this year's Media Tech and Society Conference. But first, we're going to hear from Laura Ellis, who recently made the jump from being Head of Digital for English Regions to Technology Forecasting, where she's clearly enjoying herself. I'm Head of Technology Forecasting, which sounds like some kind of mystic Meg on steroids, a robotic mystic Meg. Um, I've just about learned to to understand that I have this title and it's a wonderful thing to have because it it gives you so much scope to do so many different things. And I'm indulging myself and I'm doing quite a lot of those at the moment. But if you want me to give you a bit more of a sensible answer to what it actually involves, it involves a lot of work on engaging staff and audiences with technology and with new technology and emerging technology. And it also involves getting the really great stories that we have in the BBC out there and telling the stories about the wonderful things that we're doing with technology and the clever and the new things that we think people should know about that are technology and technology related. So it's both things that are in the outside world that we need to know about here in not just D&E but in the whole BBC and things we're doing that we'd like colleagues to know about and possibly the outside world to know about. It is, which sometimes feels like an impossible brief. So every minute of the day I'm listening to something or reading something or finding out something. And you meet such incredible people in Dini. You meet people who know everything about 5G. And you know you can never, ever know as much as that person. And yet you feel you should try to know a bit. And it's just working out how to get the breadth and the depth in the right in the right dimensions, which I'm still kind of learning to do. And it is just such a privilege because you, you end up meeting so many fantastic people who are so generous with their time and with their explanations. And I hope that what I can do in return is to pull some of those stories together and and get them out there a bit more. Telling stories is something you've been doing throughout your career at the BBC, isn't it? So, uh, having been a journalist for the best part of 30 years, it's something that comes very naturally to me. Uh, I kind of thought I'd miss it a bit more than I do. I still read the news and I still listen to the news and I still interact with the news. But making the leap into doing something completely different has been absolutely massively energising and I'm massively old so you know that's a that's an interesting lesson to us all isn't it you can actually be 52 and and still turn your life around and do something completely different with it there we go in the stories you're telling then which technologies do you think are the most interesting and relevant to us at the moment so I'm a broadcaster at heart. I, I started off in broadcasting. I, I did everything. I did a presenter job uh, as a terrible presenter, a reporter job. Um, I, I, I edited and produced programs. And yet b- broadcast technology is where my real weakness is at the moment. And I feel like I should start to get a bit more expert on that. It's so big and vast and there are so many standards and issues involved that I'm going to try really hard to get uh, my head around that. Um, my great love in this new job is is the stuff that's at the cutting edge of things like AI and machine learning and seeing what the BBC is starting to do with those very exciting new technologies. And, and again, I, I, you know, I just come back to the question of how on earth do you balance that enormous uh, landscape, that enormous waterfront and still end up being a little bit expert at something? I think where I want to focus a lot of my attention is on some of the new stuff, but that doesn't mean to say that when I get the chance to look at the more traditional technology we have, which is, again, still developing at a pace, it's absolutely brilliant to, to see that and to, and to understand and to understand about some of the things we're doing. For example, taking a huge site like BBC Wales and changing it over into IP and doing all the all the challenges that come with that. You know, some of which were just beyond my wildest imaginings. 
speaking about AI, I mean, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about this sort of over the last couple of years, I think. That's how we first met, talking about machine learning and ethics and things like that. And I know you dived straight in and actually you've been doing a variety of courses and you've, you've actually learned in some detail about what's going on underneath the hood just so you could engage properly. Yeah, uh, Bill Thompson, the man who made me cry in the BBC, I think most recently, by recommending a course, which I did with some trepidation. And you did warn me, you did say to me, there's a lot of maths in this. And I last kind of crawled out of GCSE maths with a sort of flea in my ear thinking, you know, that's probably all I need to do ever again in my life. And it was fascinating because the course I did was the the Stanford course. And I I entered into it and thought in about week two, I am just going to die of, of pain. I can't do this. I can't do the maths. But I forced myself to persist knowing that if it was supposed to be six weeks effort every, sorry, six hours effort effort every week, it was going to be at least 12 for me. And I was so glad that I stuck with it because I learned a huge amount. So I learned the basics of machine learning on this course. It was really life-changing. It genuinely was really life-changing. I I started to love the beauty of maths, which was just a kind of joy. You know, I I like poetry and and English language and I've got a literature degree and seeing this kind of new language was just, just remarkable. And off the back of that, you know, much more practically learning about the sort of things that I would then encounter as I started to make a, a, you know, my journey through machine learning in the BBC has been enormously helpful because it means I can talk very slightly more intelligently than I would have been able to about things like support vector machines and, and those sort of things. One of the areas you're responsible for is the blue room. The blue room is so completely luscious. I mean, you know, having something like that to, to play around in it still feels like an enormous privilege. And I'm still learning how brilliant and innovative they are. So um, you walk past them in a bit of the BBC, a far-flung corner that you thought you were the only person wandering around. And there are the blue room uh, team doing something amazing, like creating haptic rain, <laughs> to rain on your hand, or, or something, you know, extraordinary along those lines. What I'd love to see is more people exposed to it. So I'd love to increase the reach and extend the reach into, into those content areas that are difficult to get. So where you see the people who have their heads down saying please don't talk to me about anything that isn't going to affect what I'm doing in the next hour because I just don't have time they they do have time and they will have time if we find the right message to them so doing things like trying to extend our activities a bit more into West One um, looking at, at what we provide and having conversations with people about things like identity so this is a new thing which we've been doing in the last couple of weeks and it's been wonderful seeing new people come to the Blue Room with different ways of approaching it and different reasons for being there and I think the more of that we can do the better So, forecast me. 10 years' time, 15 years' time, 20 years' time, whatever time frame you want, how do you see things being transformed by some of the technologies we're currently engaging with? In the BBC or generally? In the BBC. I think we have a we're at a fork in the road. So if we're going to capture those younger audiences, we need to start doing really incredible and exciting things. So I've been talking to people like Tammy, uh, Tammy Gore, who's been doing uh, work around how we might be talking to the BBC I- in the future. And we look at voice. Voice is coming. We understand voice. We understand what the BBC might be doing with that. It's tremendously exciting. But what happens after that? What happens when you get home in the evening and you want to access the BBC in in five ten years time? We're not going to be going to a computer, going to a television. There'll be something that's much more immersive that's all around us and that hopefully is still doing all the things that we hope the BBC would do which is protecting us looking after our interests and making sure that it's a voice for the people who it's serving in this country in a way that I don't think any other public broadcaster can ever really truly be that might be my BBC bias coming in but we are a fantastic organisation and if we can preserve those values in a completely new environment and deliver people really exciting things I don't know whether they're going to be you know nanobots that light up the sky with with content but whatever it is and and however we envisage it and we could all spend hours imagining exactly what it might be I hope it does it in that spirit 
of really caring for audiences and making sure that we not only delight and entertain them, but really look after their interests and make sure that we shepherd them into the future in a caring and considerate way. Laura Ellis there. Next, we asked regular contributor Colin Warhurst, often to be seen showing off the latest technologies to rapt audiences at the Blue Room in Salford, to step over to the other side of the microphone and talk to technologist Ahmed Razek. They began by talking about misinformation and disinformation. So, so fake news, disinformation, misinformation, these are not new problems. What precisely have you been doing to work in these areas for the BBC and why do you think uh, they have much more attention at the moment than they have done previously? So I've been looking at this topic for probably a year and a half, couple of years now, and really wondering what this means for the BBC. So you're absolutely right, this isn't a new problem, misinformation, disinformation. This has been going on from time immemorial, right? And as now we've moved into a social media world, world where we can share content, share information readily and quickly, that means that the ability to share misinformation is a lot easier than before. So that's why it's picked up momentum. And then there's this new political momentum, political atmosphere has really accelerated this term, this this notion. So that's why it's so hot right now. And what I've been doing is trying to work out as a public service broadcaster, what does that mean for us? How do we contribute to a healthier online information ecosystem? And predictably, it's not terribly easy. It is a big problem. So it's the things that we need to do sound slightly scary and abstract because it has to happen on such a such a high level. So it's almost an unfair question to say when you say the BBC is working on some things. What what are the specific things the BBC is doing? There's not a magic silver bullet app we can roll out and fix these problems overnight. But, but what are some of the things the BBC is doing? Are we engaging with government? Are we are we changing some of our internal processes? So our main weapon is our reach with our audiences. And we're really good at explaining things. So I think they've took on some media literacy. So we're doing a big media literacy campaign, trying to do what we do really well all the time. Good journalism, telling people, getting people to understand the problem, as only the BBC does, I think. In terms of technology solutions, I'm afraid to say that there aren't, there isn't much going on. And that's not because of negligence. What solutions, what area to tackle? Deep fakes is, comes up, is coming up with its own weird and wild things that we need to be con- concerned about. A lot of the problems are messaging through encrypted apps. This is a really hard problem. Problems come from, disinf- uh, from um, networks on, on social media. When we talk about disinformation, it's really hard. I, I always get slightly confused for a second because there so there's so much going on. But broadly, we're looking at a media literacy campaign and figuring out where our where potential technology interventions could take place. But we're, we're still a little bit away from that. So the temptation is when you sit down for a techie chat like this is to talk about the current mode tech. It's about deep fakes, right? It's about social networks, right? It's about uh, profiling. And actually, all these problems are united at that slightly higher abstract level. And... That's where we have to operate. As you say, we can't necessarily deploy a technology solution against deepfakes. That's just the game changing and evolving. The real game is played at that slightly higher level. And as you say, a lot of that rests with media literacy. As a society, we just need to 
get better at understanding where our media comes from, what is happening with our data, who is saying what and why, and is there ways of verifying that. To change the way society is and to raise a generation or generations of people who are super media literate and questioning and able to fact check, that seems like a bit much of a big ask, doesn't it? It's a huge ask. This is, from a BBC perspective, it's a wonderful thing that we have control of our platform <laughs> and that we can ensure that any of the stories that our that audiences read and hear and see have had that BBC stamp of approval, which is our editorial guidelines that go through. You know, there's a, there's a lot of rigour. This is the thing. Good journalism is hard. It takes a while. And trying to imbue that within an algorithm is really hard. How you take those principles and apply it, let's say, on a, in, a, in, a, on a, in a social media context where the incentives aren't quite right leads to a lot of problems and you can't outsource that kind of thing to an algorithm in my view in talking so far we you've kept it very focused on the bbc and we could go wider than this and talk about data-driven economy machine learning clickbait ad bait electioneering Cambridge analytica all that kind of stuff you're quite on it in the sense of bring it back to the bbc what's the bbc stake in this what's public service what, yeah. what can we do that no one else could all this is leading to a bigger piece of work, isn't it, around the third Blue Room conference, and that's got a slightly different theme to the previous two conferences. Mm. So do you want to just talk us through a bit of that? Yeah, so the Blue Room recognised that AI is a, is a thing that we should at least pay attention to. We recognised that about three years ago. So we put on a conference to really level up our staff. What, is, what, what do we mean by AI? What's its impact going to potentially be? That was year one. It was actually quite successful. Off the back of that, the BBC submitted uh, into the House of Lords its response and where its thinking was around AI and machine learning. Fast forward a year, we really pushed the agenda around flourishing and how do people flourish in the age of AI. And this year, it feels like that people potentially are asking for platforms to be more responsible around their deployment of AI technologies. There's an acknowledgement that this stuff is quite powerful and will only become more and more powerful. So how do we, in st still in its early stages, how do we create the robust mechanisms, the frameworks in place that ensure that society can benefit from AI, and I mean all of society, and that is what, that's really why we've picked this topic of responsibility this year. And we said as the BBC, that we are going to be, or well, we want to be leading responsible technical development. So this conference this year is going to dig down and ask what that really means. And responsibility can go a whole host of different ways. So that's, that's the kind of impetus and thrust and the reasoning for this conference. And it has to be the BBC doing that because the tech giants should be doing that themselves, right? And the government should know all this sort of stuff themselves and the app developers and startups should know this themselves. But, but why is it the BBC that has to convene these various figures and influencers and government and tech players to have this conversation? In many ways, we're an impartial broker. We're not government and we're not wholly commercial entities. We're, we, we sit in the middle where we can listen to both sides. We're, we're a power of force that can get, get yeah, academia involved. So I think we are, it's our natural position to be the, the convener of all of these different stakeholders. And we said we'd do it as well. As part of that really important House of Lords paper, we said that we would bring partners together. Ultimately, we want a better 
society. We want to make sure these technologies are, are deployed safely to the benefit to the, of all. It's really important that BBC plays its role in trying to make sure all of the voices from business, academia, public service, policy, all those opinions are inputted and hopefully better policy, better, better technology uh, can come as a result. And that's been our pretty much our BBC mission, right, within our journalism. Now, within our technology, same principles uh, apply. So the conference itself, you're, you're putting this together. What's, what's in terms of the content, mm. we're going to have a Blue Room Tech Fair there. We're going to have some custom-made demos there, trying to bring some of this to life. What, what's got you most excited in terms of the content? Because the format's slightly different. This yeah, so this, um, sorry, it sounds like a salesman here, but let's go for it. Um, this isn't an uh, ordinary conference. So what we're trying to do is give it a distinctively BBC flavour. And that means that we are copying TV formats. So there are no panels. There's a sofa chat at the beginning, looking at what do we mean by responsibility. We've got some fantastic speakers there. We are doing a pre-record broadcast for Radio 4, looking at the impact on, of algorithms on young people as they transition into adulthood. We've got a live orchestral performance. Um, I'm, I'm hesitant to call it an AI orchestra. It's, it's still real people playing a piece, but the piece has been written by an algorithm. We've got a comedy about uh, AI. I mean, I'm not sure how many jokes can come out of uh, algorithms and the impact on society, but, you know, it's there. We've got it. We've got a question time format. That's looking at misinformation, or actually we've called, we've called it disinformation dystopia. And then we've got a final lecture-style session looking at where our futures, where, what, what do we need to look for in the future? What do we need to be careful of? What do we need to be thinking about at the end? So it's a really fresh agenda, I think. And so, so which, which bit's got you most excited? Oh, sorry, that was the to? question, wasn't it? No, uh, well, uh, we wanted a rundown, but yeah. uh, what, what's the bit that you can't wait to see or the bit that's, I think the bit that's causing most headaches at the minute when you no, pull it off? No, I am very excited to hear this orchestra. We're all a bit bored. Well, I'm certainly bored of this narrative about replacement. AI is going to replace your jobs. Human beings are not going to be as fruitful as before. I don't like this narrative. What I'm hoping to show within this orchestra is that, no, we, are, we can be even more creative when AI technologies augment human creativity. And that is a 10-minute physical show of hopefully how AI can empower us, not replace us. Thank you, Ahmed and Colin. And you can find more about the conference, who is responsible in the age of intelligent machines, on Gateway. And before we go, here's something to read while you're waiting for the next TLO rebooted. It's from Colin Warhurst and James Hand, both from the Blue Room, because they've returned to Europe's largest consumer electronics fair, IFA, which takes place in the enormous campus of the Messegalander Expo Centre city in Berlin, to take the pulse of the consumer technology industry. Their report presents their opinions on what trends are of interest to the BBC and our audiences. And there's a spoiler, it's voice everywhere. But you can find all the details online at www.blrm.io slash IFA2019. That's sort of blueroom.io slash E for 2019, easy to remember. And that's it from this edition of 2LO Rebooted. Thanks as ever to Colin Warhurst for his help with the show, and if you've got something you'd like us to cover, please do get in touch. <laughs>